So just to kind of let you know what's going on this morning, um, we are here from 9 a.m. to 11.30. So I'm going to speak um, at 9 o'clock. We're going to, starting now, we're going to do 10 and 11. And then um, at 10 o'clock, we're going to do step 12. And I'm hoping to finish up before 11 o'clock because I would like you guys, we'll turn off the recorder, I'd like you guys to kind of get up and share. You know, something maybe you learned this weekend, what are you going to bring back to your home group about this, um, or anything that's on your heart. I want to give you guys some an opportunity to participate as well. Okay? Um, I had a, someone come up and ask me a question to clarify something about six and seven. So I wanted to start out with that. They said there was some confusion about the difference between me removing my defects of character and God removing my defects of character. So me removing my defects of character is me trying to figure out how I can be the opposite. So if I am dishonest, I am trying to figure out how to be honest and I'm doing it through self-will. With God's removing the defects is I surrender the fact, God, I am being dishonest. Guide me to what I should be doing instead. So I'll just give you a silly little example this morning. Um, I was wondering about when checkout would be and, and you know, getting my stuff together and, and part, big part of my dishonesty is I think people should read my mind so I don't have to speak up. So I immediately was mad at the hotel um, because they weren't, you know, they probably were going to kick me out before I was really ready and blah, blah, blah in my head. And I got quiet and I said, okay, God, you know, tell me what I should do. And he, and he just said, call the front desk. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> so I called the front desk and I'm ready for a fight. And they told me that normally it's 12. I told them I was the speaker. They said, well, we can move it to one. And I said, thank you very much. And that's all it was. But in and of myself, I, my, I would have been trying to force my way. How can I manipulate the situation? How can I force this and figure it out? But by surrendering and saying, God, help me with this dishonesty, he just gave me a simple answer of hitting a phone. Does that kind of make sense? Is how he removes, you know, if we get quiet. And what, the way that God's going to remove them is what we're going to talk about now. Is in 10 and 11, by watching out for our defects, we're going to ask God to remove them. And we're going to be given direction on how we should behave instead. Okay? So I wanted to go back because I realized I didn't cover this. It's a little bit the very tail end of step 9. Is if we go to page 82... That last paragraph. I love the tornado, so I don't want to miss out on you guys talking about this. So it says, the alcoholic is like a tornado, running, roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, sweet relationships are dead, affections have been uprooted, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home. Um, oops. Home and turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He is like the farmer who came out of his cyclone cellar to find his home ruined. His wife, he remarked, don't say anything the matter here, Ma. Ain't it grand? The wind stopped blowing. So this to me is also an extension of that idea of um, living amends. So this is all the wreckage that's happening, right? And he gets up and says, hey, ain't, don't see the matter wrong. Matter here, all that devastation doesn't matter because now the, now the tornado is gone. And that's kind of what I feel like we do. Like, okay, I've, I've ravaged my house. I've caused this destruction. <coughs> but, you know, I'm not drinking. I've lost weight. You should all be happy now. Um, and, you know, we're, we're like a tornado. What I find often is we're in OA, we're more like blobs. You know, because we're, there are, our disease, it, it incapacitates us and makes us, um, our, with our obesity and even in anorexia, we don't have enough calories to be mobile. 
So, you know, family wants to go on vacation, we can't go because we can't fit in a, in a, in a um, in the in a seat in an airplane or my kids want to play on the uh, jungle gym but I'm too embarrassed because I'm too fat to be doing that um, I don't have the energy because I've been starving myself for three days so I can't I can't go out and participate with the family so I think that we don't realize what the toll takes because other uh, stuff in the family still has to be done so we're throwing it on other people to get it done because we don't we can't work we're shutting the the, the uh, the um, windows and just ignoring everything going on and I love how it kind of dovetails with the top of page 83 yes there's a long period of reconstruction ahead we must take the lead a remorseful mumbling that we are sorry won't fit the bill at all we ought to sit down with the family and frankly analyze the past as we now see it being very careful not to criticize them so they're describing your ninth step right their defects may be glaring but the chances are that our own actions are partly responsible. So we clean house with the family, asking each morning in meditation that our Creator show us the way of patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. You know, long period of reconstruction ahead. People are not going to believe us. You know, and for me particularly, being in LA for a long time, I made a lot of amends and then would go back and do the same behavior. So what makes them think this time is different? You know, um, I, I use often examples. I've been at the same job now for almost 19 years. Been recovered a little over eight and a half. My boss still in meetings will give me the side eye, wondering if I'm going to cause trouble. Because that's who she knew. The first 10 years I worked for her, I was the one who was always stirring the pot, the gossip, trying to make things happen. I have been consistent over the last eight years, but she's still suspicious. So I have to understand that. And that's with a working relationship, let alone my family. And the example I often, I often use as a Jersey girl is um, when Superstorm Sandy came through in 2012. It was around Halloween. And my Jersey Shore doesn't even look the same today. It was absolute devastation. It was horrific. And I remember watching um, our Congress in January trying to give money to the Sandy victims. And a lot of people from not my part of the country who you know, don't understand what hurricanes do were saying, that was three months ago. Why do you need money now? Because they were saying since it's three months, you should not need money. But they didn't understand there was years, four and five years. Some people never got back to their homes because of the devastation, because of you know for their own financial reasons, and also too, they couldn't build the homes the way that they did before because of you know the storms are getting more violent. So they had to up what they were doing to protect their homes. That's what we got to do. We got to up our games. You know, so I have to recognize that, that just because I'm saying I'm sorry, just because I've changed, no one needs to believe us. I have to be consistent in my behavior. And that leads to the next paragraph. The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. You know, I know a lot of people that can quote this book forwards and backwards. If you say the word imperative, they can tell you every page that the word imperative is on, and they are deep in relapse. Because knowing this book is not enough. This is not a program of information. It is a program of transformation. Mm -hmm. So are we willing to take what we learn in this book and put it into practice? And then it warns us again, the last sentence, our behavior will convince them more than our words. We must remember that 10 or 20 years of drunkenness would make a skeptic out of anyone. Um, and it seems like a lot of you guys listen to Vision for You. And I have to tell you, when I first recovered, 
um, Vision for You wasn't even around, but I was dependent on phone meetings to sponsor because no one in my home group wanted to let me sponsor them because they seen all the BS I did over the years. Mm -hmm. And they were like, well, you know, you're just going to relapse in 30 days. Why would I, why would I trust you to, to sponsor me? You know, so I had to recognize that even in my fellowship, I didn't have credibility. And that's why I have to be consistent in all areas of my life to have credibility. Because they're going to believe my actions more than they believe my words. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So now um, we're going to look at step, <coughs> step 10. So my two old ideas, prejudices, um, are that step 10 is to be done at night. And that step 10 is simply talking about my feelings and telling people why I'm upset. Okay. So the way that I break down step 10 is, um, step 10 is in three parts. First part is the instructions on how to do a step 10. The second part are the promises of step 10. And the third part, which I really love, is the warnings about step 10. So let's go to page 84. <coughs> and you notice I didn't go over the promises for step 9, um, because I feel like we all read them at the end of every, every um, meeting. So. Um, the second full paragraph, it says, This thought brings us to step 10, which suggests we continue. <coughs> and once again, Bill's going to use this word continue four times in one sentence. So it's kind of important. Continue to take vigorous and personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So once again, when I'm looking at the steps in the wall, one of my prejudices too is that I have to complete my step nines before I start doing step 10. And here it's saying specifically, I have to start using this skill set as I clean up the past, as I'm doing my step nines. Because if that was true, honestly, I wouldn't even be doing step 10 now, eight years later, because I still haven't found my college roommate, right? So we're vigorously commencing. Now this is my, my personal experience. What happens is, as I'm cleaning up my step nines and I'm vigorously commencing doing step tens, suddenly my amends decrease because as I'm doing my step tens, I'm short-circuiting before I'm causing harm. Then as I'm digging into my step tens consistently, I mean, I'm sorry, when I start digging into my step elevens consistently, my step tens decrease because I'm not getting disturbed as much during the day. Now what happens too is I unravel the same exact way. So as I start, I um, let up on my step 11s, my step 10s start popping up because I'm getting disturbed more. And if I let up on my step 10s, my amends start popping up because now, since I'm not short-circuiting that brain, I'm causing harm more. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So vigorously commenced. We used that example yesterday. You go to nursing school, you get your degree. If you never go into, the, into, the, um, into a hospital, are you really a nurse. I mean, you really have, you know, that skill set alone doesn't mean anything unless you put it into daily practice. So step 10 and 11 is actually when we turn our life and our will over to God. It's when steps 4 through 9 actually start to have depth and weight. So we enter the world of the Spirit. <coughs> our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. So the way I've personalized this is my understanding is me being a student. So I'm always, every day I want to be a student of this book. That's why, for me, I told you guys yesterday, I listen to tons of podcasts. I'm always looking for a new interpretation. How can I deepen this experience with this work? Because what Step 10 meant to me when I was first recovered is different than what Step 10 means to me today. 
Um, and effectiveness is me being a teacher. I'm always trying to improve. How can I carry this message? One of my favorite quotes of Dr. Bob was they asked him what was different 10 years in. And he said, I can now say in one hour what it used to take me six hours to say. <laughs> and I know that's true for me. That I, I, the more that I've made this um, work, my experience versus my head knowledge, I'm able to more effectively carry this book. I mean, I, I'm someone that, if you mentioned it, I can probably tell you about the page number it's on. But it wasn't because I tried to memorize it. It was because I've taken so many people through this book and sponsoring so many people that it's just become a part of my DNA. Um, so let's look at what, um, this is not an overnight matter. It should continue for a lifetime. <coughs> so here are the instructions. Continue to watch, and I'm going to point out again, doesn't say work on. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So there's our step four. When these crop up, because we're humans, right? We ask God at once to remove them, which is step six and seven. We discuss them with someone immediately, step five. And make amends quickly if we've harmed anyone, steps eight and nine. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help, step 12. So you notice it's a little bit out of order in the sense it goes four, six, seven, five, eight, nine. Because now we're connected to a power, so we should be going to power before we're going to human beings. So now I'm going to step back. This is Kim's experience and Kim's opinion versus what the big book says. I was a shy kid, and, and in college, the best advice I got when I was graduating was, Kim, go on a bunch of interviews for jobs that you do not want. So when you get the job interview for the job that you do want, you're going to feel comfortable interviewing. So this is the same approach I use with 10 steps. I wanted to practice the skill set of doing a 10 step a lot. So when I really needed a 10 step, I was going to feel comfortable with the skill set. So step 10 is the walking around step as we're going through the day. Prejudice doing it at night. When I think about it logically now, I think to myself, if I'm upset at 9 o'clock in the morning, why should I wait till 9 o'clock at night to get undisturbed? I have a skill set I can use at 9.01, right? So what I did in the beginning, this is before I had a smartphone, is at work, <coughs> I would take a bunch of um, index cards, and I'm someone that goes to the bathroom a lot. So every time I went to the bathroom, I would take an index card in there with me, and I would put S-D-R-F, selfish, dishonest, resentful, and fearful. And I would write down where I was feeling it. And I was blown away, because I would get to work at 8 a.m. feeling calm, and I would go to the bathroom at 9.30 and realize I had sat an hour and a half in selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. Because for me personally, I, anxiety was so normal, I couldn't tell when I was disturbed. So it was just better for me to keep practicing it. Now, I'm going to tell you, once again, this is my opinion. I believe that immediately in 1939 means a lot different than immediately in 2019. They didn't have Twitter, and they didn't have Facebook, and they didn't have cell phones. I think what they were saying was, don't sit on it. You're going to hear other people say, no, that means you've got to get on the phone that minute. Well, I'm in a job I can't do that. And I don't want to limit my 10 steps to when I can talk to someone on the phone. So what I did was... I would call someone and say, I need, can I give you some 10 steps tomorrow at 7 p.m.? And they would say yes. And throughout the next day, I would do these index cards. 
and I would have four or five, six of them, and I would call that person, and I would do my step tens with them at night. Now, what I suggest, and once again, this is my opinion, is I always suggest to my sponsees, try to get a group of like five to seven people to be people that you feel comfortable doing your 10th step with, and look for two qualities. Number one, that they um, will tell you the truth, and number two, they're gonna bring you to the book. Because if you call someone and they tell you, oh honey, don't worry about it, just take a bubble bath. Great person to talk to, probably not a great person to do a 10 step with. Or if you call them and they start yelling at you and telling you what to do, probably not a great person to do a 10 step with. And I have to tell you, personalities are gonna be different. So I, I'm someone that likes someone who like, just in the face tells me the truth. Other people, that will devastate them to hear it that way. Which is why I tell people, get a group of, of people around you that, they, that you guys mesh in that way. Not mesh like you get along and you're, you, know, you can be girlfriends, but that is gonna tell you the truth and it's gonna bring you to the book. Because the reality is, in, in our fellowship and in most fellowships, people are gonna relapse. So if you hang your star on one person, you know, and that was just in my opinion, but when people only do their 10 steps with their sponsor, what if their sponsor, you know, relapses? What if your sponsor has a medical condition and suddenly can't, can't help you out? What if, what, if, what if they pass away? So you want to build up a network of people and not make one person your, you know, your, your God. Because you're supposed to be going to God first, first of all. Now the other thing is you notice when it says watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear, it is not telling you to go through, through those first three columns. It's telling you, we learned about yesterday, the, the difference, the changes in that first, first column, the, first, the, last three, the last column. The story is what gets us upset and charged. And often I find when people do 10 steps, they want to tell me the story because they want to prove why they're so upset and get me on their side. Okay? That's not what a 10 step's for. Now I don't want to say there's not value in that, but I think it's important to know the difference between um, working and doing a 10 step and just general human conversations. So I'll give you an example from me. Um, a couple years ago, my one dog who's doing well now, but he was not doing well a couple years ago. And I was terrified. I had never had a dog. This is my first dog I ever had. I got him when I was 38. And I did a lot of 10 step work on how I can be an advocate for this dog. You know, who do I want to be as a dog owner? You know, what, how, how much do I want to intercede? What am I willing to do money-wise? And did 10-step work on that. But I also had a lot of in-depth conversations with people who have dogs because I needed to talk about how scared I was. I needed to talk about my feelings. I needed to talk to people who put their dogs down. What does that mean? How does that happen? What do I do if he dies in the middle of the night? What, you know, how much did you intercede on a dog? And, you know, I heard... A lot of different examples, people who interceded too much and regretted it, people who didn't intercede enough and did regret that too. But that was separate from my 10th step work, which, which was to get me, get me un unclogged or unblocked so I could have the other conversations with people. Does that make sense? So I think we have to separate out fellowship conversations with actual 10th step work. Okay. Um, so... <coughs> So that's the directions. Now we have these promises, which I, Before yes? You go on, could, you, could you give an example of how you, how you say a 10th step to someone else? It, it would be interesting just to hear you 
like pretend I'm listening to it. Could you give me a 10 step? Mm, yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Okay, so when I had that problem with my, with my neighbor who is knocking on my door in the morning because my dogs are barking. And I, I got, was really freaked out. And I, so I called a friend of mine and I told, I told him, you know, I said, my, not, my neighbor was at the door bark, you know, barking, my neighbor was barking. My neighbor was barking at me. Um, he rang the doorbell, I didn't answer the doorbell. And she's like, okay, let's stop. Which is, where are you being selfish? Well, I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna change what I'm doing just because my neighbor is, is disturbed by my dogs. I lived here for 14 years, you know. Um, dishonesty, it, w it was sort of early in the morning. Self-seeking. Um, I'm more, I found that, discovered I was more afraid of him talking to my neighbors and people, you know, talking behind my back than I was of the fact that this, this guy I don't like is upset. And my fear is that he's threatened to call the cops on me. So someone said, okay, well, look at, look at quiet where, where, you know, when I had worked on an ideal with him. Um, and a part of it for me when I looked at it, looked at it was, okay, well, I have to be aware when I let the dogs out late at night you know, to keep an eye on them and get them in right away. I'm not willing, when I get up for work, to um, change my routine. I let them out, you know, for 15, 20 minutes while I'm taking a shower. You know, he's at three o'clock in the afternoon, he's still yelling, you know, if, if my dog barks once. So I, part of my, the end of that was that I need to be willing to be uncomfortable about feeling uncomfortable. And I need to be willing, okay, that my neighbor doesn't like me. And that also the fact that I have as much right to use my yard the way I want to, and he has every right to complain about it, but I don't have to change my behavior because of him being upset. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, but what about the dogs? I mean, don't you have to like get those dogs in? If I'm the neighbor, I'm pissed. If you want to talk to him about that, that's fine. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, my feeling is, yeah. you know, there's, Dogs and all, all over my neighborhood at three o'clock in the afternoon. My dog barks three or four times. Yeah. Screw you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Got it. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So okay. Dogs bark. Yeah. Um. Does that? Does that? Does that yeah. Thank you. Okay. Helpful. Okay. So then we have these um, these promises, and I often I think I mentioned it before, but I, I one of the things I always like to say is that remember that recovery is not a light switch it's a dimmer switch. <clears throat> so I think people get nervous. I should feel these all the first time I do a 10 step. No, you're going to grow into these promises. So it says, um, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. So it's like alcohol is now an afterthought. So the, the promise I have is I'm not constantly in collision. I don't have to defend myself against this young lady that doesn't think my dog should bark. Okay, you have every right to feel the way you feel. My neighbor has every right to the way he feel, feels the way he feels. You know, I um, used to be, get so upset about intergroup and I, people need to do things the way I want. And now I'm like, you know what? Intergroup can make the decisions they want to make. And I can make the, my home group can make the decisions we want to make. Doesn't, everything doesn't have to be a battle. Um, we will seldom be interested in liquor. So it doesn't say never. And I hear people freak out because they have a, a food dream or something like that. Are they, having less, are they happening less frequently and less intensely? Then you're growing. You know, I have to tell you my personal experiences, I haven't had a food dream or a food thought in many years. But that's after many years of really working this program. So I want you to know that is possible. You do not need to think that you're always going to be tempted. Um, if you are tempted, you recoil as if from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally and we will find out this has happened automatically. 
So this is the way I describe it, is that for 17 years in OA, I would put the food down and I would face the food and I would fight it with everything I had. I would throw all the tools at it. I'm going to beat this, I'm going to beat this. And it was like going into the ring with Mike Tyson. I would just be beat to a pulp. When I was done, <coughs> when I reached that spiritual bankruptcy, I put the food down, I faced the solution, and I ran at it with everything I had. And I did those tools again. But it wasn't the tool to try to beat the disease, it was the tools to seek the solution. And I remember just turning around going, huh, I haven't thought of food in like two weeks. Huh, I haven't thought of food in two months. Huh, I haven't thought of food in three months. So it seemed to happen automatically because my focus was now on the solution versus trying to control the problem. We will see that our new attitude has been given to us without thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. Temptation. I remember a year or so ago, <coughs> my company um, now obligated us to have weekly meetings, which none of us like to do, especially my boss. <laughs> and my boss said, okay, what can I do to make this a little bit easier for y'all? And she said, and everyone said, cookies, fresh cookies, not the, not the store-bought, we want real cookies. So every week she would go to a bakery and she would get us cookies. So after a couple months, the girls in my office said, listen, we're, we keep, you know, we're gaining too much weight with these cookies. Do me a favor, put them near Kim where they're going to be safe. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Because I don't, I'm totally neutral. So my office was thinking the safest place for cookies was near me? That's a miracle. That's an absolute miracle. Okay? So we feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. You know, there was, there was, there's a two-year time in my, my militant accident, I used to call it, that I did not go to a restaurant because I was convinced these waiters and waitresses were trying to poison me and I didn't trust anything. And, and my, um, my sponsor was trying to get me to, to go, be, you know, Kim, you're too rigid. You know, you got to loosen up a little bit. You know, you got to go to some restaurants. got to do that. I'm like, okay, I'll. So I, I prayed on it. And the next morning, <coughs> or the next evening, I called her. I said, Mary, you're right. And I decided on Thursday, I'm going to be spontaneous. <laughs> and I did not know what I said until she started laughing. Because I couldn't. It was, I was always on guard, on guard for everything. And now, it's just so beautiful to be able to um, participate in life and not have everything go around what the food is. Now, I have to tell you, it doesn't mean I don't plan. So for example, because of my problems with flying, I can't eat like two to three hours beforehand because otherwise the food will land on somebody's lap during the, the, the flight because I throw up. And I, so I have, I have to plan. I have to know what time I'm leaving, plan my meals. You know, I have to see how I'm feeling when I land to see if I'm, I'm capable of eating. I've had to develop some snacks. Like with this five and a half hour flight, I had a snack that I packed and I ate it an hour and a half after um, I knew my stomach was settled and I knew I still had a couple hours before we landed. So I'm not saying I don't prepare, but I'm not doing it out of anger. I'm not doing it out of fear. I'm doing it out of acceptance. This is how my body reacts when I'm flying. And I'm doing it out of acceptance because I'm a, I'm a compulsive overeater. I, I go on vacation every year with my dogs to this uh, hiking place. And I pack my food for that trip as, as calmly as I pack the fact that I have to bring shampoo and everything. Now, I am a very 
I burn, I, I sunburn very, very easily. I've had sun poison. In fact, I hate to take baths because as a kid, every time I got sun poison, my mom would put me in a bath with ice cubes trying to stop the blistering. Mm. So I know when I go out and I love to hike and I love to be outdoors, I have to bring suntan lotion, like 50, 70, aloe. You know, I have to wear a hat. I have to, you know, I, I'm very aware of that because that's who I am. I'm not angry about it, but if I pretend I don't burn, I'm gonna be in a lot of pain. So I do the same thing. I prep for my food because that's, that's what I need to do in order to enjoy my trip. Now my brother sometimes comes with me on this trip. My brother is adopted and he is like Italian-American Indian skin. He laughs at me with the way that I have to protect myself with my skin. So I can't pretend I'm like my brother because he walks out in January and gets a tan. You know, so it's, it's about accepting who I am. So it's, it's, I've, I've sworn off I'm safe and protected. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That was my experience in LA. I was either cocky. We, um, in, in New Jersey, um, I, I was in Howe for many years and we had to just have this sponsor line. And I just, the, the arrogance of me getting up there and I, you know, I was down like a size two. I was so unhealthy, but like, you know, uh, everybody should eat exactly like me because look, I'm skinny. So cocky. Or I was on the other side, well, I'm one bite away, I'm one bite away, oh my God, oh my God. I'm in neutrality now. I'm not on either side of that. This is our experience. That is how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. There is a um, spiritual teacher I love and she says to get physically fit we have to move and to get spiritually fit we have to get still. Yeah. So I, a guy in, our, in my inner group is an ultra marathoner. He runs like, like, I think a marathon every other month. And you know, I said in a meeting, I said, "Well, do you think Bob could just run a marathon every two months and not train in between?" You know, the reason he can do so many marathons is because he's constantly keeping himself in fit spiritual condition. That's what I have to do. I have to tell you that I thought most people relapsed because something really bad happened. My experience, with, especially with sponsoring, is a lot of people relapse because things are going well. And if things are going well, who needs God? Who needs the steps? You're getting what you want. So they stop being in fit spiritual condition, and then when something happens, good or bad, they're knocked off their feet and they're in their food and they're wondering what the hell happened. Because the, the common thing to say is, well, I'm living in 10, 11, and 12, because you've been through the steps. And usually what I ask somebody is, what does that mean on a daily basis? And a lot of people can't even tell you what it is, let alone are doing it. If you're not doing these spot checks during the day, you're not doing step 10. We're gonna talk about step 11. There's three practices in step 11. If you're not doing them, you're not doing step 11. Let me tell you, I'm not saying you're, everyone's gonna be perfect about it. I didn't do my nightly routine last night, but it's the consistency of doing the work that's gonna protect that, that mental twist. The way I often describe it is I'm Cinderella. And because of these 12 steps, I get to go to the ball. And at midnight, the carriage turns into a pumpkin, the groomsmen turn into mice, and my dress turns into rags. And every day I wake up an untreated compulsive overeater. But because of the 12 steps, every morning if I apply these steps, I get to go to the ball every single day. But I, if I don't do these steps, I will, I will pick up again. So it says here it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels. It is easy. Because once again, like I said, when we're doing good, oh, I don't need to do that, I don't need to do this, I don't have time to sponsor. We are headed for trouble if we do, for alcohol is a subtle foe. We are not 
cured of alcoholism. So for everyone who doesn't like that word recovered, here they're telling us specifically recovered does not mean cured. I'm under no illusion that I didn't break my ankle and if I don't take care of it, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna have some difficulties. I'm under no illusion that if I don't treat this chronic illness of compulsive overeating that I will relapse. I remember um, there was an article that Dr. Silkworth wrote about, well, he calls it slips, I don't like, but he called, talks about relapse. And he very matter-of-factly said, I don't understand why people are so, are so mystified by this. If someone has heart disease or diabetes and they stop taking their medicine, nobody is surprised when they relapse. Yet everyone is surprised when an addict stops doing the treatment of the 12 steps and relapses. If my brother, who's a, you know, the, I, don't, I forget the kind, but he's the insulin-dependent diabetic, if he came to me and said, Kim, you know what, I've been really feeling good. My blood sugar's been great. I think I'm only going to take my insulin at, you know, three days a week instead of every night. I would look at him like he's crazy. The reason your blood sugar is good is because you're taking your insulin every night. But how many of us do that? This is why I love this line. Um, every day is a day we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. It's great 11th step meditation too. Every day. Am I doing this every day? Am I taking weekends off? Am I thinking because I'm in Seattle, maybe I don't have to do this work? Am I bringing God's vision or Kim's vision in? And then into all of my activities. Where do I think that, that God in these 12 steps is not relevant? Where do I think that he either can't be bothered, which is my big thing, he can't be bothered with this, or that he can't help me in that? And that's exactly where that mental twist will come in. And then it's, it warns us again, we are, what we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. And I think I mentioned it yesterday, but this is where I think that all 12-step programs have watered down one day at a time. Because one day at a time is not about the allergy. You never, ever, 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 ever can have those foods again. The one day at a time is I have this daily reprieve from this mental twist because of the treatment of the 12 steps. I love the saying, I can't get clean on yesterday's shower. And I think to myself, in disease, I have never had a really good binge on a Sunday and thought, whew, I'm good till Thursday. <laughs> but I have many times gone to a retreat like this and felt high off the retreat. And on Monday thought, man, I'm good till Thursday. I don't need to do any, I don't need to go to a meeting. I don't need to do any work because I can live off this the weekend I just had. So I have to remember this is a daily reprieve because I have to do the steps daily.